Welcome to the third episode of the Interiors and Sources podcast. Uh, I'm Katie Yale, Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources Magazine, and today we are with Royce Epstein, the A&D Design Director at Mohawk Industries. Um, and thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with us today about the color pink. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Surviving the summer. Yeah. <laughs> so we had, uh, I thought this was so interesting because um, I personally love the color pink, but it seems like it's been coming up more and more. And we had actually ended up chatting in the comments um, of somebody's Instagram post regarding the color pink. Um, and then like the next day, my team started asking about the history of pink and why is pink, you know, one thing or another. Um, and so I thought it would be really cool just to kind of talk about the hue and the, the theory. And I know that you've been working on, um, you know, a presentation and some thoughts on this resurgence of uh, the color pink. So, yeah, do you well, want to just, yeah. Yeah, first of all, I have an art history background and I um, studied art most of my life. And so I've always been surrounded by thoughts about color and color theory and the psychology of color. Um, and then when I became more interested in art history, then of course the context of color, why is it important? You know, trends of color change all the time, um, not, ju not just based on cultural trends, but, um, you know, fashion trends, quick trends that have mm -hmm. to do more with, um, you know, what's happening in society today, for example. Um, so the discussion of pink, I, I find fascinating, has been really a, a touch point that a lot of people have a lot of opinions on lately. Um, of course, it's been tied to discussions of gender, mm -hmm. because pink, um, at least in this century, has been associated with women and gir certainly girls and, mm -hmm. and the lighter the shade, the younger the girl, right? So yeah. <laughs> pastels, especially light pink has always been associated with baby girls, for example, or toddlers. Um, and things have, things have been changing. Um, I think that um, when different generations come together, especially in the workplace, um, and everybody has a different context about things like, or ideas about color, this is when things get interesting. So, you know, um, the term millennial pink has been brought up, um, and I think a lot of people assume that the term millennial has to do with millennials, but mm -hmm. I personally think that the use of the word millennial has to do not with millennials, but the fact that this is a, the color has reemerged in the time of the millennium meaning not during the 1900s, but in the, the 20, you know, the 2000s, let's say. Um, and I love that idea because, yeah, I always, as soon as I saw the word millennial pink, I am one of those uh, older millennials who gets insulted every time millennials brought up. So I was like, oh, God, you know, like, again, like now we have to have a color, you know. Um, <laughs> so I love that idea that it's it's not of a generation as much as a an era. Correct. Correct. And so that's why I think context is always important. You know, mm -hmm. like I think we're all quick to jump to conclusions about everything. And I think that's because we live in this 24 seven, you know, media cycle and we're being fed, you know, not just by the news, but now we have all this other stuff on the internet, like, you know, refinery 29 and Buzzfeed mm -hmm. and all this, all this stuff that has all these articles that, um, give people all kinds of ideas about what's happening in culture mm -hmm. and all of us, you know, make our own assumptions, but I do think that it's important to think about history and where things fit in. And so the color pink definitely has a history. Um, you know, I know we have talked about, um, the, the colors of the pastel colors of pink and blue mm -hmm. and how they're assigned to gender, 
um, having been displayed in the Smithsonian and how the Smithsonian has some commentary on that. So, um, yeah. So for our, for our listeners, um, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. Um, uh, I read an article recently from the Smithsonian that talked about the history of pink. Why is it gendered? And um, really they were talking about how in the turn of the 20th century was when clothing started to become dyed more regularly. Um, and it was cheap enough that you could dye a baby's clothes. You know, anyone who has kids or has ever seen a child knows that it's constantly covered in fluids. Uh, and so the fact that, that like, we'll call it mess. yeah, yeah, just, just mess. And, uh, so, you know, the fact that it was cheap enough that you could dye these things that were obviously going to be ruined a million times. Um, but at that time, uh, blue was actually associated with little girls and pink was associated with boys. And, um, my background is in design history and theory. And during our, I had a course in popular culture and my professor brought up the fact that that was because light blue was associated with the Virgin Mary and pink was just a watered down red, which was like blood and victory and, and all of these like, you know, uh, masculine type of, of ideals at that time. Um, but in the 1930s, according to the Smithsonian, uh, it looks like it was probably just advertiser error that they kind of got switched. Um, and as anyone knows, like media follows media. Uh, so it just started taking off in the 1930s, 1940s, that pink was for girls and blue was for boys. And there's apparently no reason beyond just advertiser error at that time. Um, but it does have this connotation of gender and it's especially pink has become so gendered. Um, and what I think is interesting about this history then also is Royce, when did you start to notice this? It's like a, a, you know, a blush or a, you know, when did you start to notice that really coming back and especially in the design industry? Yeah, I think probably about five or six years ago. Um, I'm very lucky in that part of my job. I get to go to places like the Milan Furniture Fair to do research, especially, you know, see what color trends are, material trends, texture trends, pattern trends, things like that. Um, and so we first started seeing it really in textiles like Quadra, companies like that who, um, uh, you know, sell textiles, Meharam distributes them here in the U.S. And I think that was the first time a lot of commercial A&D designers started to see this um, blush color tone or I'm going to call it millennial pink just because mm -hmm. I, I'm comfortable calling it that. And, and again, this is not having anything to do with millennials. This is again, referencing that this is a color that is popular in the two thousands. Um, you know, millennial pink is, is people are more comfortable seeing it in interiors now, I think because we see it in soft goods like textiles, like drapery. Um, it's certainly moved to wall covering. Um, I think it's harder to put on the floor and I do work in the flooring industry. Um, you know, floor flooring materials tend to be in place in a building longer than soft goods like textiles and things that get changed out more frequently. Mm -hmm. um, certainly paint, you know, we do paint is easily changeable. So we certainly see the pinks um, having a revival in, in wall treatments and, and paint colors. Um, but really I started seeing it on the trade show scene, I would say. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of the, the research at Mohawk for our, our, you know, where the trends are, are headed, especially as culture is shaping them. 
And for me, it really seemed like this was happening for a very specific reason. Um, and that's because over the last five years, you know, we've been living in the digital age now for about 20 years, but it really hasn't been until the last five years or so that we started to really live in this crazy cycle of being dominated by our smartphones mm -hmm. and that, and part of it has to do with technology. Um, and it's going to even get worse because now 5g is coming. So with 5g coming, that means all of our cell phones are going to have faster service. Um, and the internet can load faster and then we, you know, commerce will become more, um, I guess, uh, per pervasive on all of our phones. Mm -hmm. And so we're moving in this direction of like literally living in the palm of our hand in on-demand society. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that has, has slowly happened over the last 20 years, but over the last five years has accelerated greatly because of the, the evolution of smartphones and how fast, you know, the, the um, internet can, can be now and wireless is everywhere and all of that. So because culture is being driven by a lot of these uh, fast pace changes in technology, um, humans are kind of lagging behind in a way um, because we're losing our humanity. And I, I really believe this, that, you know, we touch glass screens all day. I talk about this a lot. Um, we have five senses. And when you are literally like submitting your senses to technology, whether it's sight or touch, and those are the two things that mostly we need to operate our cell phones or our computers, mm -hmm. um, we're not doing things of the natural world. We're not outside. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, maybe interacting with other humans as much as we are with screens. And so that's left us um, feeling nostalgic, number one. And it's also left us feeling like, um, I don't know, I, I think, I don't know what the word is, but my coworker, Jeanette, said it really well that, you know, when we, today, when we walk into like, especially um, a commercial space, and this is definitely true of residential spaces, but you know, the resumercial trend, and we all hate that yeah. word, but, um, but there's a, there's a reason why it's so popular right now. And it's because we want to feel embraced. Mm -hmm. Like we're getting a hug when we walk into a space. And this is true, whether you're at the doctor or whether you're at an office where you work or where you're visiting someone, um, you always want to feel comfortable and welcome. Mm -hmm. And so to me, color is very much a part of the psychology of that feeling of being human mm -hmm. and feeling warm and safe and welcome in a space. So I see this all connected in that the, 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 the palette of technology for the last 20 years has been cool tones like silvers and white and gray and, and you know, these very sort of bluish tone. Um, and then, of course, we see a backlash to that, which is all of the warm. Mm. And the warm tones have really taken on a big push. And this is why even Apple has come out with, you know, their gold ro or rose gold mm. iPhone and their gold gold iPhone. I mean, I even bought a rose gold iPhone, which shocked myself <laughs> because that that's not my palette. Like people who know me like, no, I'm a modernist and I'm a Bauhaus enthusiast. And it's really weird that I would get like a pink iPhone. But um, I think it goes to show you the power of color and how color can drive emotion so that we don't feel dehumanized and disconnected from um, our natural world. And so that's where I really think the, the root of why this new millennial pink blush tone color has come on completely strong because it's a color about nostalgia. Number one, it reminds us all of infancy and childhood, whether you're a boy mm -hmm. or a girl. We all had, you know, uh, most people have siblings. And I think most people, whether you're a boy or a girl, there was pink and blue in your house. Like my brother and I were only, you know, less than two years apart. So we had pink and blue in our house, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I was lucky that, you know, after a certain time, my, my mom let me pick my own colors and I didn't have to prescribe to societies, you know, you know, girls have to wear pink and boys have to wear blue. But we had all that growing up mm-hmm. in our house. And but we also had other colors, you know, we had, I remember wearing lots of yellow and lots of red. And um, I didn't start wearing black until I was a, a goth teenager. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, but the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, these things are sort of embedded in society. And there are these shifts that come around that make us think differently about color. And I think subconsciously we, ha- we are welcoming this pink color with open arms because it is this color of nostalgia. It reminds you of being a baby or an infant. Um, and feeling like grandma is giving you a hug or that, you know, your mom's wrapping you in a crocheted mm-hmm. afghan. You know, it's that that kind of a feeling. So it's very it's a color that's evocative of of the past. Well, and it, um, that made me think, too, especially with the the um, the tactile elements, which is so interesting because people keep talking about how flat screens are kind of uh, creating a response in interiors. Um, and I, I'm not sure, uh, I'm wondering how you feel about, you know, pink does really lend itself well to fabrics like felts or like textural elements, like pink really fits in there. Um, do you think yeah. that it has any kind of, uh, is it, do you think like it was, came in on its own or that it kind of rode in with these more tactile like felts and things like that? Oh, I think that's a great point, and I hadn't really thought about that in that way, but I think it's true, and I think you can make a case for that. Um, you know, first of all, uh, most felts are blended, you know, wools, or at least that's originally how felt was started. Of course, now we have, you know, polyester versions and synthetic versions, but um, the main characteristic characteristic of felt is that it is a blender, blended fiber so that it looks like wool. And interestingly enough, we just came out with uh, a new yarn system called Heather Hughes that is based on this idea of biomimicry of looking at sheep hair and trying to mimic that wool look in a synthetic mm-hmm. fiber. Um, we chose not to do a millennial pink color, but we actually do have a hot mm-hmm. pink color. Um, although it's it's more purple lavender based than it is like a super bright fuchsia color. Um, so it's more usable. And I think that's the key word is that the the tones of the pink have to be usable in the interior for this to catch on and work in interiors. I think for fashion, we don't, they don't have those constraints. You know, people can wear whatever color for whatever scenario and they rock it and they look good. And, you know, there's, there's really not as many limitations in fashion with color that I know of. Um, but in interiors, it's totally different. Like if you're enveloped in an all pink room, the, the hue is going to matter big Mm -hmm. time. Right. So there are a lot of designers that do this really well. Like I think Patricia Urquiel is a good example of a designer who can create a space that maybe is mostly pink and just changes the different textures and the different shades of pink so that you don't feel like you're in a pink room. They take on more of a neutral tone. So the, the blush colors look more beige, Mm -hmm. for example. And then, and then when you have a neutral envelope, you can insert brighter colors, but it all works beautifully together. And again, you wouldn't walk in and be like, oh my God, I'm in a pink room. It would actually feel very mm-hmm. comfortable. So I think, you know, layering different textures, layering different color values together, I think is important in making pink comfortable, and, you know, as far as sort of the people getting over, getting mm-hmm. over pink. 
as a, as a usable color. I think that's how we have to do well, it. Well, and I, I know that um, you had mentioned that uh, you think that the this resurgence of pink is not as much gendered, but I'd love to talk a little bit about the gendering of the color. Um, I have this, this theory that one of the ways that uh, pink started coming in, especially like these light blush colored pinks, started coming back really was that um, I remember when I was in college, you know, like 15, however many years ago, uh, all the frat boys started wearing pink polo shirts. And it was, it was almost a joke because it was like this, like such a masculine, you know, society as a, as a frat, you know, a frat brotherhood. And then they felt like it was almost like a joke, but it was also that they really loved to wear pink and they were wearing a lot of pink, you know? Um, well, yeah. And I think that happened earlier. I mean, I was in high school in the, in the uh, early to mid eighties and, you know, uh, it's, it's a preppy thing. Yeah. Right <laughs> um, and that's fine. You know, I, I, again, I don't, I don't think that, you know, men wearing pink polo shirts are thinking about about it in a, mm-hmm. a gendered way like oh i'm not gonna wear pink or you know it's just something they like and it fits into the prep culture and and you know i'm sure there are reasons if we were to study why that is that we could come up with that um but i i do think the the association like you said has more to do with the assignment of mm-hmm. color through more through the larger culture um like things like toys things like baby clothes. Um, you know, it's like, you know, people used to have those guess, guess what gender oh, yeah. baby I'm having a boy or a girl based, based on whatever color they were like, yeah. throw, you know, launching balloons or whatever. Um, I think today that people are much more, um, realistic and understand that, you know, life is not so black and white or yeah. so pink and blue, <laughs> let's say. And, and that, um, because there have been so many cultural advances in accepting beyond the binary. And when I say binary, I mean, literally, mm-hmm. you know, the two genders like male and female, um, you know, we've made great progress and great strides in culture and society, accepting people for who they are. Um, and, you know, sadly, you know, we might be making some backsliding mm-hmm. in that with this current administration, but I do think the pendulum will swing back. And I think that, Ultimately, you know, gender and the way we look at gender is going to be seen as much more fluid and less mm-hmm. about the binary. And so the binary male-female is also, in our discussion, the pink and the blue. And um, I, I think that, again, people are much more sophisticated today and really can understand the nuances of, you know, mm-hmm. understanding that. So lots of companies are taking this on. Like, I love that Target, you know, was studying for a while, like, do we need to do away with the girl mm-hmm. toy aisle and the boy toy aisle and there's this awesome I, I might have tagged you on it there's this awesome video of this uh yeah. toddler <laughs> in like the bar the barbie aisle and she was like i don't understand why everything is pink and i don't i don't understand why i have to buy these yeah. pink toys and i don't want a princess i want to have you know yeah. the, the tank you know that kind of thing well, so i, I mean even, even children understand this you know this is this is it's we're ushering in a new world. And I think that the more fluid we are in our thinking and not having definitions on, on everything in society and let people just be who they are. I think color will adapt. And I think, yeah, and I think you know, it's so interesting to realize that color in baby clothes has only been around for like a century. And then, 
it being pink, you know, has been less than a century. And, um, you know, whenever people say like, oh, I want to go, you know, things used to be so much easier. It's like, no, things changed in, in the World War II, like during World War II, everything changed. And then after World War II, mm -hmm. I mean, you had the Great Depression where all of a sudden everything changed. And then even if you look at fashion at the time, like the most dramatic fashion changes really happened between the 20s and, and 30s. And then you have the war era where everything changed again. And then you had the post-war era of abundance and all of these new materials and all of these new things. And then all of a sudden we had another new norm, you know, and these colors being gendered is so new um, that it's, it's kind of like, you know, just, just realizing like, oh, maybe that doesn't work out. And it's, it's not like it's embedded into our, you know, cultural history. Um, it's really just so new. Well, I think most mm -hmm. people don't think about that though. Like most people only know what they're taught and exposed to. So I do think that, you know, as arbiters of culture that, that we are, yeah. we have to talk about these things <laughs> and educate people about, and this is why history is so important. Like, you know, I'm so happy that I actually graduated with an art history degree. And I, you know, of course, if you asked me 30 years ago, what I would do with this, I, I don't know <laughs> if I could have given you a good answer, but it's important for mm -hmm. the way I think about things um, because you have to look at context and you have to understand like what was happening, you know, hundred years ago. And what is happening 50 years ago and what's happening today. And, and you're right, things evolve and things change. And I, I think as humans, we are capable of great change. And this is why it's so important to have these discussions about gender and have these discussions about um, technology and what it's doing to our, the human body and our human brain. And um, so I applaud you and the magazine for, for doing that and leading that charge because, you know, the more we expose people to these kinds of discussions, this is all part of design. And I think mm -hmm. not everybody understands that. Yeah. Know? And it, um, um, it, I was thinking about, you know, um, as you were saying that technology and the internet and all of this, like helping to bring in pink, I think it also is so quickly changing how we think about pink. Cause I remember being, you know, like that little girl video, like I was definitely that little girl, but instead of saying like, well, I don't want pink right now. You know, I was like, screw pink. I hate pink. Cause I'm getting, you know, like people are, are making assumptions about me as a little girl. Um, yeah. I remember it just like yeah. blew my, I was like, there was a mistake in 101 Dalmatians. Like I was absolutely certain because, uh, the mom dog has a blue collar and the dad dog has a red collar. And I was just like, there was a huge mistake here, you know, like, and, um, and I really didn't start to realize like my own, you know, uh, internal, uh, just kind of my own gendering within myself until I started seeing pink come back. And all of a sudden I'm like, I really like pink, you know, and I haven't said that since I was a little kid because I was so worried about what it meant about me. And I think, you know, children now are on the internet where they can see people going like, well, no, 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 you're allowed to like pink, you know, like you don't have to hate pink and think that it means this or this about you. Um, so then just kind of wrapping up here, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you find really fascinating or that you think people should know about uh, pink and in particular, where do you think pink is going? 
Well, I don't think pink's going away anytime soon. Um, I, I saw it everywhere uh, in Milan in April. Um, you know, it was mm -hmm. definitely present during New York Design Week in May. We saw it at New York Con again in June. Like, it's not going anywhere. Um, I do think it's very tied, like I said, to this sense of nostalgia and wanting to feel like you're mm -hmm. in a, an interior that is giving you a hug. And I think your comment on how, the, especially the lighter shades of pink, tie very nicely to um, these warm textural materials, I think is also very timely and important. So mm -hmm. that's why I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, I, I personally am not a huge fan uh, of millennial pink because <laughs> I'm, you know, I wear black head to toe. <laughs> and, I, and I'm always trying to figure out how to get color in my wardrobe. And somehow I gravitate towards these like super brights. Like, you know, my boss Jackie <laughs> has been trying to get me to wear color for three years. And, it's, and, and to her credit, it's working. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to buy brights. Um, but I, I just cannot do pastels and I, I don't know why. And so, you know, I have to confront my own demons about why, why am I afraid of pastels and, and what does that mean? Like, am I, does that make me a softer person more twee? Does it make me more, um, childlike does, you know, these are the things you have to ask yourself because this is what the association with the especially the more pastel version of the color you know, pink really has to offer. Like I somehow, I somehow feel like I won't be taken seriously if I'm wearing, <laughs> and, you know, a baby pink um, color. You know, one thing that I thought about when this pastels came back was that, like, I just remember hating pastels, particularly in the '90s, and just, and maybe I'm not remembering it right, but like, it, I feel like the pastels now are a little bit warmer or more vibrant. But I just, like, I have always been just very certain of how I feel about design um, and was very outspoken about it. But I just remember just being so weirded out by pastels. And now that people are like, oh, yeah, that pastel, you know, millennial pink. And it kind of threw me off for a little bit because I was like, oh, yeah, those are pastels, you know. And do you think that they're a little bit more vibrant now or am I just totally remembering them being colder? <laughs> No, I definitely think, yeah, no, I definitely think they're more vibrant. And that has to do, too, with technology. I mean, the in the 80s, this was before digital technology. We didn't have screens. We didn't, you know. Um, and for whoever had a computer in the 80s, you know, it was like, you know, green, <laughs> green on black. Like, that's what you saw on your screen, right? Like, um, so, you know, I think just the print technology, color technology, screen technology, all of these things have helped sh shape and change how we view the actual, like the literal mm -hmm. colors that are popping off of whatever we're looking at. Um, but also the, the various hues and shades of a color also come and go in popularity. I remember in the 90s um, having, and I started my career mm -hmm. in interior design in 1992. So really coming off of the 80s, and in the 80s, pastels were huge. Like we had Miami Vice was a huge cultural touchstone for bringing pastels back into sort of the, the lexicon of design you know, and that was also on a very neutral palette, which happened to be the Armani slash Calvin mm -hmm. Klein palette that, you know, kind of took over in the 80s. And, and those kind of warmer neutrals could really receive those pastels really nicely. But they were more mm -hmm. chalky and they were not, uh, and dusty, like they weren't as vivid or, but strangely enough, <laughs> we're going back to and dusty pastels right now. That's, that's a trend I've seen in the last year or two. And I think that has to do with, with again, craving kind of this old school mm -hmm. humanity of like our cavemen selves, 
Like that's where the chalk, the chalky part comes in. This is why stone and terrazzo prints are big right now and materials because mm-hmm. it's the anti-streaming. It's the anti-Snapchat. You know, these, these are things that have longevity like of the earth. Yeah. I'm always interested every time I see, uh, cause I, I work a lot with, um, like junior hires and high schoolers and do a lot of volunteer work and they are loving neon right now. And <laughs> yes, neon is huge. And it's, you know, um, Judith Gura had a had a book that came out about why she believes that postmodernism is definitely on its way back. And yeah, you look around and it's like, yeah, we're getting these lighter pastels and then the neon like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's a word for it and it's called vapor wave. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this term? No. <laughs> that's that's what some people are calling this trend. It's like sort of a throwback to the 80s and the 90s. Um, with the neon and kind of like a max headroom vibe, like kind of like, and this is where like glitch art and all of that falls into this. Um, it's super interesting. Hmm. Like, did you, if you saw the movie drive with Ryan Gosling, the soundtrack is very much this, this aesthetic mm-hmm. of vaporwave. It's like this sort of electro clash music. So it's kind of got this eighties throwback, but it's definitely made today. Mm-hmm but it's got a little glitch to it. Kind of like if the technology we had now existed in the eighties, this is what it would have looked like. Oh, that's a good theory. <laughs> <laughs> Just go on Pinterest and type in vaporwave and you'll see what I mean. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation and I definitely would love to just continue with it. You know, if, if anyone listening would like to put in their two cents, let us know. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. 